look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, more from the training camp trail from Philadelphia, Eagles wide receiver and social activist Tory Smith, and from the Texans training camp in West Virginia, Houston coach Bill O'Brien on all things Texans. And now my conversation with Philadelphia wide receiver, Tory Smith. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, joined by Tory Smith, wide receiver, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, Tory, we're interviewing you today at Eagles training camp in Philadelphia. And I wonder what it's been like for you to grow up in Virginia, to go to college in Maryland, to play for the Ravens, and then to have a two-year West Coast detour and now come back east and you're back in sort of the East Coast nuttiness of the NFL and of football. So what's it been like for you so far to be back on the East Coast? Yeah, it's been awesome to, to be back. Um, I'm definitely still thankful for the opportunity that I had to go out West. Um, I mean, it didn't work for me football-wise, but... Um, met some great people there. Um, was able to kind of step out of my comfort zone a little bit, and uh, like I said, some of the relationships there. You know, I was able to develop. Um, it's pretty special, but um, I'm glad to be here, Philadelphia. Great city, great football city. Um, my wife's from outside of here, 20 minutes oh, from here is. in Conshohocken. Yeah, you know, football so kind of matters crazy. here. Have you noticed? That? Oh man, it's it's crazy. It's a different <laughs> world. Um, you know, for me playing, uh, being a part of two. You know, of some of the most, two of the most respected fan bases in football. Um, yeah. To be here, I mean, there's nothing like this. I mean, it's crazy. So, as you look back on it now, are you happy you went to San Francisco, even though you sort of had two lost seasons there? I yeah. think you had a total of 53 catches in your two years. Two different head coaches probably couldn't have been two more different head coaches, you know, and, and Jim Tom Sewell and Chip Kelly, obviously. In fact, your last four years of football, you've had four head coaches. Mm -hmm. That's got to be kind of weird to show up every year and there's a new boss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I I have a lot of respect for, you know, Coach Tom Sula, you know, and Chip Kelly. Um, you know, we just didn't work, man. We, we there's a lot of things. It, it wasn't one person that you could, you know, kind of point the finger at. And, you know, for me, um, football-wise, it definitely took a step back. Um, it was it was frustrating for me in a lot of ways, and to be completely honest, I didn't handle it well. Um, I wasn't my, the best version of myself, and um, it was tough, but um, it made me better, you know, going forward uh, to learn from those experiences. And, you know, I'm, I'm playing very well right now. I'm excited. I'm expecting to have a, you know, a successful year, and I'm, I'm expecting to be a big part of what we're doing here. I'm going to ask you two more football questions, especially about where you've been and everything, but... 
Last year at the Super Bowl, I remember after the Super Bowl, Tom Brady in that game had tremendous chemistry with a first-year receiver on his team, Chris Hogan. He came Mm -hmm. from Buffalo as a restricted free agent. So he comes to New England, and by the end of the year, they are in perfect harmony. Hogan is exactly where he's supposed to be. If he's supposed to run a 12-yard out, he runs it not at 11.5 or 12.5, at 12, and he turns around and there's the ball. So uh, I asked Brady about it, and he said two words, 111 practices. And his whole point was that we weren't right in July or August or even early September. We worked together a lot. But I wonder from your standpoint, all these offenses – all these coaches you've played for, the different quarterbacks you've played with now, what is that like for you as a receiver to be able to have to get on the same page with all of this newness? Yeah, I think the the biggest part about it, I mean, I think it helps me out too, is just being a pro. Um, this is my first rodeo, so I understand offenses. And the most important thing is for me to be where the quarterback expects me to be. And I think when you're talking about a quarterback of that magnitude who I think is the greatest to play the game, um, then you better be where he expects you to be. And that expectation level is the same for myself. So to be with a, a younger guy who, you know, I'm kind of brought in to help, you know, with his growth alongside Alshon and, you know, some of the other guys that, you know, I need to be where he expects me to be. So, you know, one, so we can be successful, but two, so I don't spook him, <laughs> you know, so you can get that trust. And I think that – Does it take a long time to get that trust? Um, I, don't, I think, you know, I think, honestly, it's just from day one, man, I think when you're playing with a guy like that, it makes it easier. Um, his personality, his talent, some things he can do you just flat out can't coach. So um, I think, you know, we've had a great offseason. Like you said, those practices, you know, he's learning my body language. Um, it's, uh, I, I like to, you know, when, it's a ball, when the ball's in the air, I put my head down and I'm gone. You know, I know where I expect the ball to be, and, you know, I know where I expect him to put it. And that would scare the mess out of him. My first few <laughs> weeks here, he's like, you have to look back. I don't think you're ever going to look back for the ball. And I'm like, just trust me. I'm like, you put it out there, I'll I'm go gonna get catch it. it. <laughs> yeah, I'll go get it. And, uh, you know, we've been clicking, you know, very well um, since the offseason. It's grown, and it's happened a lot um, over the time. So I'm looking forward to seeing it translate to the real thing. Last year in San Francisco, you played with Colin Kaepernick. And there's been a thousand opinions about Colin Kaepernick, the football player, Colin Kaepernick, the disruptor, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it was like to be in the locker room with him every day, what it was like to play with him, and what have you thought of this whole maelstrom around Kaepernick who remains unsigned to this day? Yeah, I think that, you know, first of all, you know, I know it's kind of cliche to say these things, but I don't know anyone who, you know, worked hard in. Kaepernick physically um, I mean he he was the first one in last one lead type of guy and um, he always pushed everyone um, when you're on a practice field he's very competitive um, there's no doubt about that and um, I know that you know he, he worked hard he, he knew what he was doing on the field I know people like to say he doesn't he didn't study or whatever I can't speak on that because I don't know but I know he knows his assignments that's all I need to know and I know that you know athletically you know, he's a big live arm. He can make every single throw, and obviously he's a threat with his feet. Um, I think ultimately in San Francisco, um, it was just a lot of different things. Um, you know, sometimes it was it was him. Sometimes it was protection. Sometimes, you know, as receivers, we let him down. And, um, you know, it was a lot of things. But I feel like for him right now, 
Um, it's a lot of guys in this league that he's better than, and he's not getting a shot. And, you know, whether that's because of his protest, um, that because people flat out disagree with it, or whether it's because of his protest and people don't want to deal with the media that comes with Did it. Did it divide the team at all? No. I mean, I think the biggest thing is you can't say it's a distraction, but it's only because of the media. But when the media leaves, I mean, that that's it. That's the distraction. That hour or however long they get in the locker room, that's the distraction. You know, you're not on the field and you're like, you know, Cap's calling a play and you're like, man, I'm going to take a knee right now. You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't, you don't think about that when you're on the field. And there's also something that he, he said he was going to do. So he knew it was going to happen pregame. It's just like, all right, you know, Cap's protesting, and that's it. Let's go win this ball game. And so I think that, you know, he definitely should be playing, I think. And he's in great shape. Um, I saw a picture of him. I haven't seen him in person in a while, but I saw a picture of him. He looked in great shape. And, um, you know, hopefully he gets a call because it's, I mean, to me, I feel like, you know, there's different ways to look at being, quote, unquote, blackballed. But, Cap's not in the league because of a talent issue. He's not in the league because people don't uh, – people just, along with the protests, I don't know if teams are willing to deal with that distraction. But we do have teams that are willing to deal with people who beat women and the little distraction that that gets or people who get locked up for doing stupid things in the offseason. People deal with that. But a man protested. He also said he wasn't going to continue his protest and – you don't want to deal with that media because of what it created. I mean, I just don't know where our priorities are. With Tory Smith of the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Tory, you uh, are one of the players in the NFL who is quite socially conscious. Um, you were also a teammate of Anquan Bolden, uh, who uh, just retired this past week, and you said some very good things about Anquan Bolden. Do you see more players showing the, uh, you know, showing that they want to speak out on social causes, and more players who want to follow players like Anquan Bolden, who part of the reason he retired is that he wants to devote his life to trying to basically help the human condition. Yeah, I think that guys do want to learn more. Um, they do want to speak out. They do want to try to be a part of the change, but it's an education process. Um, and that's what's really happening now. Um, even with the coalition that Jenkins and, and Anquan started that, you know, I'm a part of, um, it helps us to be educated and also to figure out ways to act, to actively create change, not just to be a part of a protest or to say something's wrong. And there's a lot of people who flat out just know that we have issues in our country and they want to change it and they want to know how. One more thing I was going to ask you. You sent out a tweet recently where you said, using your voice is powerful. You can hurt or heal people. Spread love or hate. Spread stupidity or knowledge. Speak up or hide in silence. What are you trying to say? And what would be your message right now to America? Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's self-explanatory. Like, I mean, we all have a voice. I mean, whether it's <laughs> you're a parent and the way you're talking to your child, um, you can speak life into them or you can speak death into them with the same the, the same person, the same voice, the same mouth. You know what I mean? It's like, it's power in that. And so to me, I feel like um, if you remain silent about issues, then you're just as guilty as a perpetrator, in my opinion. So whether that's police brutality whether it's racism, whether it's domestic violence, 
if you stand silent, in my opinion, you support it because we ha- we can collectively create change, and we need to be able to acknowledge that you know America is a a great country, but America has some issues, and there's nothing wrong in a country that you love trying to change it for the better. Aren't times changing in the NFL right now? Would do you think ten years ago? people would have spoke spoken up the way people would speak up the way they are now and people would be having the little national anthem protests um honestly man i don't even know i can't even really speak on it but i just know that you know throughout time athletes have played a major role even though people often like to tell you to stick to sports um there have been people who've always stepped out on that limb and uh i think we'd be doing a disservice to the people who came before us to to not speak out about certain things or to not care. Because even like for myself, like people tend to be like, oh, you're in the NFL, you're a professional athlete. What problems are you speaking of? Well, when I leave, you know, I'm just like everyone else. You know, I'm another African-American male, you know, and I have a reputation as being a good guy. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I'm married, I'm very faithful, I'm a family man. But I've also had guns drawn on me three times by police officers. You know what I mean? I've had a, I had a young girl walk up to me and be like, hey, he's black. You know what I mean? So it's like it's different things that, you know, you experience that are, are really real. And they are problems that, you know, we need to figure out how we can truly come together, you know, and stand as one America and not just divisive country, which it can be. Tori Smith of the Philadelphia Eagles, thanks a lot for your message. And I hope people heed what you say. I appreciate you having me. This is the MMQB podcast. This week, I'd like to welcome Betterment to the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Because Betterment, in my opinion, is a better way to invest. It's the largest independent online financial advisor. Betterment is designed to help improve customers' long-term returns and lower taxes for retirement planning, building wealth, and other financial goals. Betterment takes advanced investment strategies and uses technology to deliver them to more than 270,000 customers. So why choose Betterment? To me, there's two very compelling reasons. And this is why I want you to listen to my message on this, because I think Betterment has such a good idea. In part, isn't investing a really intimidating situation? To me, it is. Like, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. You know, I know about sports. I know about football. And it's so bizarre when you go in and talk to an investment advisor And at the end of the day, you kind of throw up your hands and say, hey, listen, I really hope they know what they're talking about because I sure don't. And so I love to find people who know what they are talking about. And that, to me, is Betterment's big advantage. Listen to their annual fee, 0.25%. One quarter of 1% is their annual fee to help you invest and grow your money. For that 0.25%, you get unlimited messaging access to their team of licensed financial experts. And if you've got a more complex financial situation, Betterment Premium gives you unlimited phone call access to their team of certified financial planners for only four-tenths of 1% annually. I think this is something that you really should look into if you have any desire to grow your money long term. Now remember, investing involves risk and listeners can get up to one year managed for free. 
For more information, visit Betterment.com slash MMQB. Betterment, rethink what your money can do. And now my conversation with Houston Texans coach, Bill O'Brien. So back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, I'm here with uh, Houston Texans coach Bill O'Brien. And Bill, we're in uh, White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, sort of as you as training camp begins to draw to a close, you'll be going back into the Hades of summer of Houston. And let me just ask you this question. What was this experience like coming to White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, and having your players all stay in the Greenbrier Resort, which is a place that Babe Ruth once slept in? <laughs> it's been great. I mean, yeah. the, the, the uh, Greenbrier people have been really easy to, um, to work with, uh, you know, everything from the hotel people to the, the catering service. The biggest thing for us as a football team is we've been able to really focus on football. You know, we've been at this facility from 7.30 in the morning till 8, 9 o'clock at night. The players are meeting, practicing, getting treatment, eating well uh, for, you know, three and a half weeks. I think it's really helped our team bond. You know, the proof will be in the pudding when we start playing games, but uh, I really think it's been good for our team. You are in a couple of day period now where you're working with and against the New England Patriots. Your history, obviously, having coached under Bill Belichick in New England. I was reminded today when I heard, uh, when you had the music playing, and first of all, I must say that's what, what, what it, that what is unusual about your music is I actually understand it, and I get it, and I've heard it before. Like Pete Carroll, he plays the music as he says, I just give it to the fellas. So I don't know what that is, you know, I, I, and, and at all these camps, the music is mostly very urban, and I'm very rural, you know. Anyway, um, but... I noticed that you played a little, uh, you had a little Springsteen, you had some U2, and you even had Bon Jovi. So I wonder, was that a little nod to, to your <laughs> former coach with the Patriots? Of course, of course. <laughs> I take requ- requests. You know, I, sometimes uh, I'm like Coach Carroll. I, I give it to the fellas too, and sometimes I have it on my my phone and I give it to the our DJ that runs the music, but uh, and th- that's the days the players don't really like the music when I'm when I'm in charge of it. But <laughs> no, yeah, we had a little little boss, little uh, Bon Jovi, and that was to welcome the Patriots to Greenbrier. Yeah. So I'm curious. It must be really kind of fun for you to be on the field with Belichick again. I mean, what it, can you just tell me what? What do you think you learned mostly from Bill coaching under him and being around him in your real formative years as a coach? I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, he teaches uh, in such a unique way um, that it's, it's, it's just something where you're going to learn a lot about a lot of different things, you know, whether it's uh, the strategy of the game, evaluating personnel, how to approach different situations that come up in a game, how to break a film down offensively defensively special teams you learn you learn a lot from bill in the squad meetings you learn a lot from bill in the staff meetings he doesn't you know always call you into his office and you know hand you the playbook and teach you the playbook that's not what he does it's more about paying attention taking notes understanding you know exactly what he's talking about and if you have a question you ask him but 
there's just so many things I've learned, and it has been great to, to have these guys here. Today we had a really good practice. You know, we have a similar practice format, so I think uh, going against each other, working with each other like this is good for both teams. When you see, look across the field, and you see Tom Brady, you know, who you used to be on the field with in Foxborough. Right. Is it deja vu? Is it different? Is it the same? What is it? I'll tell you, there, there are so many things. You know, one of the things about him, and we were just talking about it as a staff, he, he's, he's actually improved. Uh, you know, I think, he, uh, I think he throws a great, great deep ball now. I think he always threw a decent deep ball. I think it's even better now. I think the touch that he has on some of the intermediate crossing patterns is, is uh, you know, second to none. I mean, he's, he's, he's improved, and that just says a lot about who he is. The best thing about Tom is he's a great guy. You know, he really is right away when he – when we saw each other this morning, first thing he says is, how's Colleen and the kids? You know, I mean, he just, um, he's, a, he's a special guy, and it's great for our, our defense to go against him, um, you know, because he's the, he's, you know, he's the reigning Super Bowl champion quarterback, and so it's a great test for our defense, and I, and I thought our defense held up pretty well today, and, you know, we have to do it again tomorrow. So when you, when you look at Brady, the one thing I noticed today, your defense made a play at the end of one of the ones versus ones period. Yeah. Uh, and I was really wishing the music wasn't playing then because he came <laughs> off the field and he was really kind of bitching out his his <laughs> teammates, you know, like what's what's the matter with yeah. you? And I'm kind of cleaning that up. So uh, that part of him, I think the public sort of sees that a little bit. What was that part of him like when you coached there? Well, you know, I've I've been very fortunate because I've been around some of the best to ever play the game you know right here with J.J. Watt some of the guys we have here um, and Tom there in New England they're they're just they're so competitive you know and they they they're perfectionists and so when something doesn't go exactly right um, you know they're fiery about it you know because they they want they can't believe that it didn't go right you know whether it's Watt or Brady I mean they just it's just amazing to them that it didn't go the way they they pictured it would go, and that's what makes them who they are. So I don't know what happened on that play, but that's that's the way he's always been in practice. That's the way JJ is here. You know, we, you know, we have uh, you know a guy right here, like I said, that's one of the best at his position. So I think it's just the competitive nature of these players, these top-notch players, that that's kind of what makes them tick. Looking now at JJ Watt, I think the the question that a hardcore football fan would have. Okay, Watt was too good for too long and demanded way too much of his body. How in the world is he going to be able to come back and be that same player after this major back surgery? So what have you seen in J.J. Watt this spring and summer? And is the NFL going to see vintage J.J. Watt in 2017? That's an interesting question relative to his body. You know, he plays a position that's very different than, you know, let's just say obviously quarterback or corner or even linebacker. I mean, he plays a position where you have to get your body right. And as you as you get to, uh, you know, a little bit older in the game, you have to learn how to how to change the ways of getting your body right. And he's done that. He has really uh, done an unbelievable job of coming back in tip-top condition. Um, I, I can tell you right now, the guy is going to be uh, at the top of his game. 
He's had a great training camp. Will he be as good as he was? I think he'll be better, Peter. Uh, I mean, I think that he has great knowledge of our defense. Uh, I think he's got some really good guys around him. Uh, I think that uh, he's he's just there's just something about him this year. You know, I'll I'll just tell you, I think he's going to be better. I mean, he's uh, he's impossible to block. <laughs> so, you know, we we've been letting him get his reps in practice. Um, but then we get him out of there so that we can move the ball on offense. I mean, I'm just telling you, it's it's he, he's a he's a great so Bill, player, you, and you know, and last, I think he's going to be great. Last year, you know, you're the number one defense in football without him. And you know what I think last year was good for you guys. So I don't. I think everybody thought, oh, Whitney Merciless, he's okay. Yeah. You know, but he probably mm-hmm. hasn't really, you know, justified the pick. All right. And last year, he's really good. No question. And then Jadivian Clowney, where everybody thought, man, this guy is going to turn out to be not a bust, but just not justifying such a high pick. Right. And both those guys last year, without Watt, it's almost like they said, okay, we don't have Watt, we're going to show you. I don't know what the attitude was, but but those guys sort of grew without him. Those guys are are excellent football players in their own right. Whitney Merciless, let's start with him. He's probably one of the most improved, if not the most improved player that we've had uh, since in the four years I've been here. Mike Vrabel has done a great job with this guy. I mean, he was tough on him early in his career. I mean, early when we were here, which was still early in Whitney's career. Uh, Whitney has, has, he's a self-made guy. He, he's, he does a lot of things well. He rushes the passer well. He plays the run well. We can do different things with him. We move him around. And uh, Clowney, really, last year, what you saw is what we saw and what we envisioned, and I think it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. And that's kind of my answer back, if you go back to what I was saying about J.J., you know, it's J.J., it's Whitney, it's Clowney. I mean, you you know, I think it's a tough, obviously a very, very tough front. You kind of got to pick your poison, you know, because all three of those guys are playing at at a very high level, a very high level. I know you – you would hate to hear this, but the the sort of logical person in me would say, man, even if you get just okay quarterback play, <laughs> you might be really good. I mean, imagine <laughs> if, you, if, if either one of your quarterbacks plays great. I mean, imagine how good you might be. Yeah, we're, you know, look, I think we've uh, improved offensively. Again, I think that the proof will be in the pudding when we start playing games. Uh, I, I do think that these guys on offense have put a lot of time into what we've asked them to do. Uh, I, I think quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends, we have good players at all those positions. You know, obviously Hopkins. Uh, we've got some good running backs with Lamar Miller and some of the guys that we have back there are tight ends. So, you know, look, Tom Savage has had a good camp. Deshaun Watson's a really good rookie. I, re- I really feel good about our quarterback position. We have to we have to go out there and actually do it, you know. In order to, for us to win like the way we want to win, you know, we have to we have to score more points and uh, keep our defense at a high level. So, you know, that's what we're shooting for. In order to really fix your quarterback situation, you basically traded both of your top picks next year. I mean, you you made a total reversal from Osweiler. You made a total all-in play for you know your quarterbacks basically being these two guys this year so as you sit here you know three weeks into camp or whatever we are uh are you 
comfortable, confident? How do you feel about those two guys? Absolutely. I've, I'm very comfortable about our quarterback position. Um, I'll start with Tom. Tom has very good command of what we're doing. Uh, he showed that today, I thought, in our practice today. You know, we weren't really sure what we were going to see from the Patriots, and I thought he handled it pretty well just from his knowledge of our offense. He's throwing the ball well. He's an accurate passer. I think the big thing with Tom is health. You know, Tom Tom has gone through some unfortunate injuries. You know, he's had an ankle, a shoulder. You know, he's had the concussion he's had to deal with. So, you know, if he can stay healthy, he's going to help us. And then Deshaun's come in here and been very impressive as to how he picks things up and how he studies, how he works, the routines that he gets in, the way that he throws the ball. I think he's accurate. I think he's got a lot of, obviously, running ability. Um, but, you know, so I think I think the sky is the limit for for uh, for Deshaun. I think he's going to be a really good player. But, you know, look, he's a rookie. So that's why we're, we are in this, you know, position here where Tom's a starter and Deshaun's coming along and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I, I really like our I like our quarterback position. Were you all in on draft day when you committed to Deshaun Watson and traded two ones to get him? Absolutely. The way the way that it works here is it's a partnership between Rick and I. And Rick, Rick's basically in GM charge. GM Rick of the, Smith. Right, yeah. Rick Smith, our general manager. It's you know it's a partnership, and and he's you know basically in charge of the personnel side, the draft, and things like that. And and then I'm in charge of the coaching end of things. So, uh, but you know we obviously he, he we need to agree on things, and he's not going to draft anybody that that we don't want. You know that's that hasn't happened here, and and so when when that when Deshaun you know, when that draft was falling the way it was falling, we both felt really good about this kid and what he had done and how much he had won since high school through Clemson. Uh, we, we were impressed with him when we, when we interviewed him at the Combine, when we brought him to Houston, the way he carried himself, very smart guy, uh, good poise, you know, under pressure. Those interviews aren't easy for young guys. And, uh, and so I, I, I was all on board with that. Isn't it, you know, when you think about it, just think, this guy twice threw for over 400 yards against a Nick Saban defense. <laughs> I mean, think about yeah. that. that. In is, big games. That's awesome. wasn't in a scrimmage either. Right. Those yeah. were big games, I and mean, that's saying something. I mean, imagine, you know, they. what do they have, eight NFL draft picks on that defense yeah. every year? It's, see, I'm, I might be exaggerating, but not by a lot. But no. they're, they're incredible, and this guy twice, he's played them twice and threw for over 400 both times. That's why I think going into the draft, sometimes, here's what I think about scouting in the NFL. I understand that a guy has a big adjustment to make. It's like Marcus Mariota going from Oregon to Tennessee. I understand he's got a big adjustment to make. But if, you, if you're with Marcus Mariota and know that he's going to work 26 hours a day to, to accomplish this and all that stuff, and from what I've heard about Watson, he's the same sort of ridiculously, you know, composed and hardworking the right ethos and everything. So, I mean, I just, I refuse to believe that just because you haven't played in a certain scheme, I bet his scheme at Clemson was diametrically opposed to his scheme in high school. So, I mean, you I, know. I think that, uh, you know, when we studied the film, we saw all kinds of different things that were really good. I mean, number one was he, he ran a lot of what they did at the line of scrimmage, you know, and number two was he had to check plays. Number three was he threw from the pocket. He wasn't just running around. Uh, but when he did run, they were usually for positive yards. Did he throw some interceptions at Clemson? Yeah, but, I mean, they ran probably almost average 100 plays a game, and they threw the ball a lot. So those things are going to happen. When he's come here, 
He's a very bright guy. He understands things uh, pretty much right away. If he makes a mistake on the field, he looks to correct it right away. He doesn't wait. He, he asks great questions. And he's an accurate passer with a good arm. So that's the key in our league is the poise, the ability to stand in there and deliver the ball when somebody's bearing down on you accurately. And he's shown us that, you know, he can do that. So, look, is there a long way to go? Yeah, in some ways, obviously, a lot of it comes from experience. You know, how when you experience something and you remember it and you put it in your IBM and, you know, when it comes up again, hey, this is how I handled that. You, 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 can't, you can't substitute that. So he's got to experience things, and that's what we're doing for him right now. He's experiencing a lot against our defense in practice and then in the preseason games. I got three other quick topics. The first one is... I know you're a fan of football history, yeah. and you really love the game going way back. Okay, and so I want to just make an observation and have you tell me about it. So last year you allowed me, before your first game of the year, to be to sit inside your team meeting on a Saturday night to see how you talked to your team, how your team got ready for the game. And it was, it was really informative. But the one thing I remember thinking when I walked out of there, I said, people would be surprised – and I told Amy Palsik, your, your public relations uh, person, uh, I said, you know, it's not fire and brimstone. You know, <laughs> no. it isn't. But, but a lot of people on the outside believe that there's pounding of the podium, there's, come on, we got to do this, and, and all this stuff. And I wonder, over time, you, you were very matter-of-fact in that, whatever it was, 15 minutes with the team and basically saying, hey, remember, here's what we saw with the Bears and yeah, and all this. Right. And you're just sort of reminding them, but you're not slapping them in the face. You're just no. like, whatever. And so I, I just was thinking, I said, I wonder, through history, okay, how much have you studied that aspect? Have you studied at all how coaches talk to their team, how you wanted to talk to your team, the point that you want to get across? Have you watched Belichick? Have you watched other people do it? And what's your feeling about the most effective way to communicate with your team in, in team meetings? That's probably one of the best football questions I've ever received, seriously. I, I, and so one of the things that I've always tried to do is be myself. That's number one. And, you know, I do, I'm a, like I've always said, I'm an Irish guy from Boston, so I have emotion. I have a temper and all those different things. But I've also learned a lot from, number one, the people I've worked for. Um, you know, I learned a ton from Bill, uh, especially, like I said before, in the squad meetings, you know, how he addressed the team. I, I've learned a lot from people I've read about, whether it was Don Shula or Vince Lombardi or Sean Payton. You know, guys that I really respect, and there's many, many more. In the end, you have to be yourself. But in that meeting you're talking about, it's basically right before the game. So, yeah, it's tactical, but it's also reminders. Hey, these are the things that we've talked about during the week. Let's boil them down to their simplest meaning, and let's make sure we remind ourselves when these five things come up tomorrow, like, we got to be on top of those things. And I don't think in pro football especially there's there's no time for the fire and brimstone at that time now there's times you know where, where we've come in at halftime or maybe right before a game or maybe you know on a Wednesday or Thursday meeting where you know you, you have to get them going a little bit and that's just the way it is but to me in 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 the meetings that lead right up to the game it's more about hey this is hey remember now these are the three or four things that we talked about in all three phases. Let's go out. If we can accomplish these, we have a real chance to win the game. I'm, I have to send you something that I have. You'll get a great kick out of it. But 
I have a Paul Brown address to his team. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's very, it's incredibly matter of fact. Right. Is well, his opening training camp yeah, speech. Yeah, his opening is training. Incredible. Have you heard that? And it lasted. I mean, it okay. was just. It, I mean, to read that and to yeah. think about that and yeah. all the details that he covered in that opening training camp speech. Right. I'm not sure you could do that nowadays. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have enough time to do that, but. I mean, it was just incredible. It was everything from the dress code to, uh, you know, X's and O's to the training room to the equipment room. I, I just thought it was really a, that opening speech is one that I've read a couple times. Opening training camp speech of Coach Brown, which is incredible. It, I, I, I'm going to get to the last two things, but probably the greatest thing that happened to me was in 1984. It was the first year I ever covered an NFL team, and it was the Cincinnati Bengals. Paul Brown owned it. Sam Weich was the coach. Right. And Sam Weich was just Rube Goldberg. He was just Mr. Whatever new idea you have, I want it because <laughs> I want to use it. Yep. And and it was amazing that Paul Brown hired him because you think of Paul Brown as Mr. Meat and Potatoes. But he was actually a really imaginative guy. Right. But the greatest thing about that year was training camp was five weeks long. I lived in the dorm at Wilmington College. And Paul Brown was at practice every day with a straw hat on, uh, and he watched every minute of every practice. And I stood with him for half the time every day yeah. and just talking to him. Yeah. I mean, the professor of football sort of would tell me, here's why we're doing this, here's why we're doing that. Incredible. It, I mean, and, you know, and I think back on that. And, you know, so many interesting people on that team. Boomer's the quarterback. Collinsworth is a wide receiver. Sam is the head coach. And Sam says, hey, anytime you have any questions, come down and knock on my door. It was ridiculous. <laughs> You're talking about a different era in football. Incredible. It was really Incredible. It was interesting. But, you know, I wanted... I worked with a guy named Leo Barker. At, oh, yeah. He played Georgia for the Tech. Bengals. Yeah. He was the best guy. Yeah. And uh, he was a safety, I think, on that team. No, special, he's, a, he's a linebacker. linebacker, linebacker. Special teams guy. He yeah. was a great guy. And he used to talk about the, the guys and the coaches and Paul Brown being around. It was pretty neat to hear those stories. What You know, what I will always remember is that you talk about something being all football. You had no choice. You're a captive audience. The only thing right. in Wilmington was a McDonald's. Right. <laughs> and so you had absolutely no choice. Right. And it was just really a great, fun time. But right. anyway, so – we did this thing earlier this year at the MMQB. We did an all-time football draft. I got Bill Polian, Ron Wolf, uh, Gil Brandt, uh, John Wooten, Ernie Accorsi. The gurus. The it was, they're, and they're it was the so great because me, Rick Gosselin, yeah. Bob McGinn, we had some media yeah. people in there. And what was so interesting about that whole thing is that everybody had a different way of building their team. Right. Ron Wolf just wanted defense. Right. He said, "You're never gonna, you're never gonna score on my defense. You're never gonna move the ball." <laughs> and you know, I wanted, I got Tom Brady in the first round and Gale Sayers in the second. I wanted Gale Sayers right. on my team. But I would just ask you this: You have the first pick in an all-time NFL draft. First pick, all-time NFL draft. I want to know who you're gonna take and why. J.J. Watt, twenty plus sacks a year. Dominate the game, take the game over, bat the ball in the air, intercept the ball. Is that a political answer, or no. is that who you would take? No, I'm telling you. Well, that's who I would take. Well, well, you heard it here first. <laughs> the first pick in the NFL all-time draft, Bill O'Brien takes J.J. Watt. I actually took J.J. Watt. Did I don't you? know, maybe sixth or seventh round. Who'd you I, who, who went first? Uh, the first pick was Lawrence Taylor. That's pretty good. That was a good pick. <laughs> and then uh, 
I mean, you know, the first picks were, I'm trying to remember the second pick. The third pick was um, was uh, Johnny Unitas. Wow. And then Jim Brown went very high. Anthony Munoz was the fifth pick. I wanted Munoz. I mean, look, a, we're all a victim of where we were. But right. Jim McNally, the all, longtime offensive yeah. line coach, brought me in his office one day, and he said, hey, Munoz played a perfect game yesterday. I'm yeah. going to show you. Yeah. I, I mean, whatever, 68 snaps, he's and awesome. he did the right thing on every one. And, he, you know, he's – he anyway. came and spoke to our team in Houston a couple of years ago. He's a great guy. Yeah. He was a great guy. Yeah. I, I want to end with this. So, Bill, you you uh, have an interesting life, okay? You have a special needs son. Yes, sir. And you are obviously uh, very intertwined with his life, and your family uh, is extremely important to you. Right. And, and I guess I've always wondered about the way you balance that. And how does your son deal with sort of the absences that a head coach has to have? And what's your life like with balancing those two sides? Well, thank you for the question. I, you know, millions of families are, around the world deal with special needs children. And, you know, so it's not like we're special or anything. But Jack will turn 15 on August 28th. And when he was about two... Uh, Colleen and my wife and I can remember that a doctor said he probably won't live past three. So wow. for him to be 15 is pretty incredible achievement. But, you know, I, I, I can have Can you describe to, his, his ailment? Yeah, he was born with a brain malformation called lysencephaly. So lys is a Latin term for smooth and cephaly, you know, obviously a term for brain. So it's a smooth brain. So, you know, he just it just was a fluky thing. And because uh, we had a second son uh named michael who's in the seventh grade and is healthy as a horse so were you worried when when you yeah i can remember when my when when michael was born this was on orders of my wife as soon as we could put him into a mri and and check his brain his tiny brain we were doing it and we did it my best memory of that is when we called our parents the reaction over the phone i was coaching at duke if you can believe that, but the the, the reaction over the phone uh, was just incredible. The emotion, you know, yeah. we were just happy, but our parents were—you could just hear the tears. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just an, a pretty cool moment. But but uh, you know, Jack, my wife is twenty-four-seven with Jack. We we do have a lot of help in Houston, great people that help us. Uh, but she's the one that should get all the credit for for what Jack has achieved in his life, and she's been a huge champion for him with Easter Seals and his school and. All the things that she does, uh, you know, for him and around Houston. She loves Houston. She she does a lot in Houston for special needs children. So um, it's taught me a lot about football is important. It's hugely important. It's, you know, it's where we spend most of our lives as coaches. But in the end, uh, what's most important is, you know, your family, doing what's best for your family, doing what's best for your players. I think being a father of a special needs child helps you with your players, you know, patience and, you know, having empathy for some of the things that they go through at times, you know, and so, but it's, uh, it's a pretty unique, pretty unique thing. And how, how is Jack now and how is your life with him now? It's, you know, as he gets older, it gets a little tougher just physically because he's big. And so he's dependent on us 24 seven for everything, you know, um, and his condition is associated with seizures. So he has probably three or four seizures a day, which is tough. You know, it's tough. But that's been going on for a long time. We're, we're basically – that's Jack. That's Jack's yeah. life. That's our life. That's normal for us. But yeah. uh, it's always hard to get used to that. But 
you know, he's, he's, I'm telling you, he's a tough kid. He's a happy kid. And uh, most of that, like I said, is because of his mom and his brother, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Hey, well, listen, good luck with Jack. Good luck with your family. Good luck this season. You guys are going to be a very, very interesting team yeah. to watch this year, aren't you? It's a good way to put it. I really like this team, Peter. I, I like the way they play. I love the way they practice. I like the leaders on this team. I mean, you know, I don't even mention guys like Jonathan Joseph and Brian Cushing and uh, some of the, you know, Lamar Miller and some of these guys we have uh, on the other side of the ball. C.J. Fedorowicz, tough tight end for us. So Hopkins, I, I just, I like the way they approach things. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Bill, thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. So my thanks to Tori Smith and to Bill O'Brien for some really enlightening conversations this week. Now, you know, sometimes when I go on the road, I come off and I have a really strong opinion about something that I want to express, and that's the case this week. One of the things that happens when you go on one of these long, extended NFL training camp road trips, and basically before coming home late last week, uh, I was out for 25 days I saw 20 teams, maybe 21 teams. I lost count. And, but the most interesting thing and the reason why I love these trips, and I told you last week on the, uh, on the van portion of the podcast last week when I had Team the MMQB with me, I told you last week how there just isn't a better way to dip your toe back into the water of an NFL season than to go out and to actually see players play and to see players fight and scratch and claw, some of them trying to make the team and some of them trying to improve themselves. So let me take you to a scene in southern West Virginia, Houston Texans training camp last week, uh, the New England Patriots and the Houston Texans. Now, so imagine it's 20 years from now, and you're thinking, boy, I'll tell you what, a long time ago I remember watching football, and I'll tell you, the two best players I remember from that era when I was really into the NFL, the two best players were J.J. Watt and Tom Brady. And so last week, I'm sitting there on the, the, the side of an invented field in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, and there's Tom Brady barking out signals. And to his right, he is looking at Marcus Cannon, his right tackle, and right over Marcus Cannon's shoulder, Brady in the shotgun, looking, and uh, if Marcus Cannon doesn't block J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt, even though they don't allow quarterbacks to be hit in these practices, Brady understands that Marcus Cannon in week three of this season is going to have to block J.J. Watt because the Patriots and Texans will be playing in Foxborough in week three. So anyway, this is a very important couple of practices for the Patriots. And here comes J.J. Watt. He latches onto Marcus Cannon. He, he pumps his legs like a couple of pistons. He's like a gigantic bull. And Marcus Cannon gives a little bit. He gives a couple of steps in the turf, and but he holds on, holds on, holds on, and Brady is able to throw the ball. In other words, a win for Marcus Cannon uh, you know, it's like, you know, an average pitcher, you know, coming up against Clayton Kershaw and getting a win or, you know, an average forward blocking a shot of LeBron James 
in a game. And you know, it was just a moment in time. It's a moment I'll remember, and it's a moment I know that J.J. Watt is going to remember when he gets ready to play in week three of this season. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I really, really like this game, because even though there's nothing on the line, there's something on the line for J.J. Watt. He wants to beat Marcus Cannon, and he wants Tom Brady to know that in week three of this season, I'm going to be in your grill, and I'm going to knock you down, because then you're not going to have the red jersey on. I'm going to be able to hit you hard, and I'll be coming, and I'll be coming very hard in week three of this NFL season. And folks, if you ever have a chance to see a joint practice between a couple of teams in the NFL, and there are some really good players on those teams, it is really, really fun to watch, I can tell you. And I'll tell you this also. you know, Tom Brady and J.J. Watt, I talked to them both uh, after the two days of practices, And it's strange. They both had a huge smile on their face. And they had a ball practicing against each other. And personally, I can't wait for week three. Thanks to my guests, Tori Smith and Bill O'Brien. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Larry Fitzgerald. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Betterment. Please support Betterment the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.